All right. Welcome, everybody. It's Draft Politics. It's episode 21. We're back to our regularly scheduled programming. Now that we did the catch-up episode last week, this is EJ, and with me as always... Hey, it's Steve, everybody. Yeah, so uh, I'm all caught up. I'm back in the flow of politics and uh, in the flow of beer here as well. So, which uh, is great. Which we'll is see, great. see where we end up, but... Uh, and your jet lag is all solved, right? You're yes. Back uh, on the right I, schedule. I know what time it is again. My body isn't waking up at weird hours. Yeah, no, I'm I'm back, uh, and it's all good. So yeah. And now that we've officially started impeachment investigations, right? Have like I, I think we have. I think we have. We haven't we? Maybe I don't know. Like it's it's interesting because like one of the rationales for pushing for impeachment and and is that there is a political upside to showing that you're fighting for it and all that and and it seems like the democrats have done everything they can to sort of pretend it's not going on even when it's kind of going on and so anyhow that brings us to Corey lewandowski's testimony yeah uh yeah so they had a very long hearing where Corey lewandowski was being grilled about his involvement in potential obstruction of justice right and most of the questions were getting bandied back and forth and Lewandowski was largely going unscathed until pretty near the end of the hearing um and at that point what happened was the the Democrats had an an actual attorney yeah and this was great right uh start questioning him so you want to get into that well no I mean I think that that is just the You know, that's the whole point. There was a lot of grandstanding, both by the Democrats and the Republicans and Corey himself, right? Yeah. He came in looking to be combative and follow the president's wishes to read this silly statement about, I've been advised not to respond to anything about privileged communications, which, again, we all know is an audition. Yeah, and he was regularly not responding to questions, saying it was covered by executive privilege when it wasn't covered by executive privilege and, and, and like, those kinds of things. What are you going to do? Right. Which is the... Maybe that should be the actual campaign slogan or maybe the slogan for the Trump presidency. Right. Like, What are you going to do? Right. What, what, uh, what are you going to do? And until he started being questioned by an attorney who was actually getting at corroboration or confirmation of things in the Mueller report. He was just kind of sitting up there, smug, I'm going to run for Senate looking guy. He needs no time, airtime in my mind. Yeah. But I thought there was something important there in which he confirmed, yes, Donald Trump asked him to go ask, uh, ask the Attorney General Jeff Sessions to back off or limit the scope of the investigation. Yep. So that's it. We got him. Right. Clearly. Let's impeach him now. Where we are already impeaching him? I'm, I'm so confused about <laughs> I mean, um, Yeah, it, so there was that. There's also, um, they got him to admit that he was had openly lied to the media on multiple occasions. Right. Um, and has no, he has no, what did he say, no reason or... Either he's no, under no obligation to tell uh, the truth yeah. to the media was essentially the gist of it. And it's, it's funny, though, because, like, we go through this whole hearing... Um, we get that, you know, he's been lying to the media, and what's the first thing that happens? He gets invited on CNN to talk about it. Like, right. Like, you gotta, there has to be consequences for this stuff. And I think that's the thing that's so frustrating about all of what we've seen from the Trump administration is that 
bad behavior is rewarded, or at least it's not right. punished. <laughs> yeah, well, at least they put Sean Spicer on TV in a lime green shirt. Right. So if, if the punishment is you get a, a frilly lime green shirt applied right. to you every time you endlessly lie, well... You have to be I associated with to the Lewandowski's Spice Girls yes. for the rest of your life. Yes. So that's maybe today's question. What Spice Girls song does Corey Lewandowski have to come out to there when go. he's campaigning for Senate? Yes. I don't really know their, their oeuvre all that well. So, Yeah, that was a trap question. Right. If you had listed seven <laughs> or eight options, we would have had problems. Right. But uh, you're absolutely right. So he comes, comes into this hearing essentially, you know— Flipping the bird to everybody on the committee cares not about the process or the institutions. Says he can lie to the media if he wants. Gets invited on the media. What's his What's his incentive to ever tell the truth? Right. You what's know, he's not going to jail. Yeah. He's not. You know, I mean, he's still able to have a career being a liar. Like, I don't see his downside. For right. Him, so. And and this is really well timed because it goes along with, I would say, the big scandal, if you will, that's been dominating news cycles for the last week, which has been everything around this national intelligence whistleblower right. memo that exists that we know some things about, but we don't know what we know about it. Yeah. So just to give some background on this, uh, what happened was there was a member of the National Intelligence Organization, I don't, we don't know what part of intelligence they were with, um, was involved in a call that Trump had with uh, the president of Ukraine, I believe? Yes. Okay. The recently elected president. Had some conversation with them, and there was something said on the call that was so alarming to this person that they decided to report it to uh, higher authorities. And so they filed a whistleblower complaint. The uh, inspector general received that complaint, decided, oh, this is actually bad enough that it needs to be reported to Congress. And at that point, the DNI steps in. This is the new DNI, not the old DNI. I don't even know who the DNI is at this point, but... Could be anybody. Some DNI <laughs> um, steps in and, set and blocks it from being released. Right. Now, the law is very straightforward on this. There isn't a process by which the DNI can block this. It is all... Seems like there isn't, yeah. Right. Um, but And yet they have. So whatever it is that is being that the whistle is being blown on, it is bad enough that an intelligence representative said, hey, I should report this. The IG said, hey, I should report this. And the DI said, hell no. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and I guess, you know, there are levels that they assess these things at. So the inspector general looks at it and says, yes, it's credible. And yes, it's urgent. Yeah. So... That means a lot to them, and that means it should immediately, you know, and I guess the wording is notified, they should immediately notify Congress. Yeah. Now, of course, there's nothing in there that says, you know, you have to make a different consideration if it's the president. Because right. so many of our laws are not built around a president who is the national security risk. Yep, exactly. And this goes back to this idea of unitary executive and the executive should have all of the power. And so because technically that is part of the executive branch, they just felt, here you go. We're going to stop it. What are you going to do? Right. 
What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And the first couple news cycles were around, there's this thing out there. We don't know what it is. And... Yeah, it's we just knew there was a whistleblower complaint, and right. then it was a whistleblower complaint about the Ukraine. And since then, we've got the sort of broad outlines of this, at least. We know that Trump and um, Zelensky, who's the president well, of Well, no, Ukraine. no, no. I was going to say Trump and Giuliani oh, have yeah. been pressuring uh, the Ukrainian government to investigate Joe Biden. And we know this going back long before this whole whistleblower right. came up. Joe Biden's son, Hunter, yes. was on the board of a company, um, a, a natural gas company in the Ukraine. Yes. And that company, along with lots of others, was being, was being looked at by the Ukrainian government. There was a prosecutor who was okay, doing that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And at the time, every Western government had said to the Ukrainian government, this guy is doing it wrong. Um, and, it, you know, again, it did not appear at the time that there was anything related to a specific investigation. It was just this person, this prosecutor, is not following sort of Western norms for their investigation right. and prosecution right. and pressured him, pressured the government of the Ukraine to remove that person and replace them with somebody else. And this wasn't the U.S. alone. It was the U.S. It was England. It was France. It was Germany. It was everybody. Yep. And also at the time, Joe Biden was nominally responsible for Ukraine policy in the U.S. And so... As vice president. Yeah. As vice president. And so that sort of sets up the, I guess, the storyline. Right. And there was an investigation in Ukraine of whether there was any wrongdoing there. And there, and it came up saying that there was nothing nefarious right. going on. And there's no reason to believe that that investigation was corrupted in any fashion or whatever. And so that brings us back to what's going on with Trump. So it seems like what's happening here is that Trump is trying to use the power of the presidency and what he can do as president to pressure the Ukraine into digging up dirt on one of his potential political opponents. And so that's bad. <laughs> it feels bad. Yes. It feels bad. Well, and, like, here's the thing. Like, if he was just, like, pressuring them to, like, he's just saying, hey, could you investigate this? Like, oh, I, there's a crime that's happened. Can you investigate that? Can the president do that? Sure. Can the president do that against a political opponent? Little, little sketchier. Can they, like, withhold you know, arms supplies or money or add money. Like, we don't know what the quid pro quo is here, right. but can they do that? Oh, hell no. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and this is the whole thing. There's the legal standard, which we don't really know about because this is all unprecedented. There's right. the sort of normative standard. Should the president be able to use their power to, I don't know, influence other countries to... I. It actually just boggles the mind, to be perfectly honest. Well, like, you know, you think about, like, all right, so go back to, like, Obama and and Snowden and, like, the political pressure they applied on various places to go after Snowden. Like, okay, like, that's a thing, and I disagreed with what they were doing, but, like, that's within the bounds of presidential power, right? But then if Snowden had been running against him for the, the job, that would be a little bit different. And if he had been, like, bribing countries to then go after him, that would be another level further yeah you know i hadn't 
thought about it in the same way. Uh, I had thought about, you know, the Snowden sort of equivalence there, you know, because I think that there is one thing about somebody breaking a U.S. law and trying to extradite that person yeah. back to the United States for prosecution. Yeah. Which, again, that's... One can disagree with that, and I, you know, or right, disagree right. with whether or not Snowden yeah, yeah, that's did something uh, that is prosecutable and should yes. be. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's a completely different thing to get on the phone with somebody and say, "You should look into Joe Biden and give me stuff on Joe Biden and work with Rudy Giuliani." And and here's the other thing about it: so we don't know what's in that letter. We have no idea. We have, I mean, some guesses, but we don't really know. And because we don't really know, the narrative is now being driven by Absolutely. Donald Trump and Rudy yeah. Giuliani. And so, right. And so what we're seeing is basically a repeat of what we saw with the Mueller report. The Mueller report contains at least the crimes of obstruction of justice and, and, and very clearly laid out without any real question about what's there. But because it was all covered up for a while and Trump was able to spin it how he wanted to, by the time it actually came out, it, was, it seemed like it wasn't as much as it was. And it seems like that's the same kind of thing happening here. Mm -hmm. Where we're saying, all right, uh, oh, well, no, we were already, yeah, we were talking to the uh, Ukrainian government. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Like, they're, and so what they're trying to do is sort of just work around the edges of what was actually illegal about what was going on. And then by the time something, and eventually this will probably come out, but whenever it does, um, you know, it's it's going to end up being like, oh well, that's that's nothing, you know, it's all it's all no big deal, and we already yeah. talked about this, let's move on. Yeah, yeah, we were out in the open about it. We told you, I mean, we told you we were doing this, and so it's okay. And you know, he'll say it's a national security or foreign policy issue, which it clearly is not. Right. Right. And here was the other thing that I that really struck me about this. This phone call took place the day after the Mueller report, after Mueller testified, rather. Yeah. So we already knew there were no consequences right. for whatever like he does. He's just like, oh, we're clear. I'm going to start and doing this next bit of corrupt Right. Practice. And I heard this great analysis. I think it was on the NPR podcast or someplace where they said, look, <laughs> the Mueller report said... We can't move forward or we couldn't recommend certain things because we couldn't prove without a doubt that there was high level contact between Trump and the Russian government. Right. To, to push forward interference in the election or, you know, getting information of value. So we couldn't prove that. I guess him getting up on TV and saying, Russia, if you're listening, find all those emails. But that's different. Yeah, I guess. But them saying, like, we couldn't prove that. And then the next day, Trump's like, well, hold my beer. I'm oh, going yeah. to just do it. So, yeah, because that was, you know, if in the Mueller report it had said, and then Donald Trump called Vladimir Putin and said, hey, could you uh, help me out and help me win the election? And then I'll give you all this great stuff. And I won't, you know, I'll let you have Crimea. It's going to be yours. And right. maybe I'll throw in a case of Trump steaks. Like, would that have changed people's perception? I, I don't know. But this is that same sort of thing, and it'll be really interesting to see 
you know, if we ever see the, the whistleblower report, I, I'd put it at 40% chance that we well, see I the whole thing. Well, I think what's going to happen is we're going to see... We're going to see continuing leaks about it. We're going to see, like, so we're going to get the outlines of it, but, but yeah. are we going to actually get the whistleblower report? I, I would bet probably not soon enough for it to matter. Um, although I will say it's been interesting. is like it seems like we're the closest we've been to any real press for impeachment. Like, I've seen a lot more people talking about that more aggressively. Yeah, yeah they but have. are we, you know... Although we are technically moving on it in sort of a, a loose way, sure, you know, tangential, <clears throat> yeah. But but like you know, is Pelosi on board? And you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But so, and I, I want to ask you this question, and this is you know going to be a little from left field. Well, that's that's my side of things. The yeah. Left, so you know. So what do you think Nancy Pelosi's job is? I think Nancy Pelosi's job. Well, I mean, how does she measure success? <clears throat> well, I think she measures success measures success by getting things done, right? And passing laws and having having a cohesive uh, caucus. That seems to be what her priority has generally been. Um, the cohesive caucus is interesting, but uh, carry on. I yeah, so uh, you know, I don't know that that. I think that there is a obligation as Speaker of the House to defend the Constitution. I mean, everybody theoretically is obligated to do I, that. And all of these things are fundamentally corrupting the Constitution and violating the, the boundaries of what is and is not supposed to be done. And so there's certainly limits to what she can do because she's she can only control one House of Congress. She can't control right. the Senate. She can't control the presidency. But I feel like there's a lot more she could be doing that she is not doing. But is that how she and I think she thinks I think a lot of it comes down to she has a, a view of this that if she pushes on this, that her caucus is going to be fra is going to fragment, that it's not going to be as if get Trump out of there and it's going to hurt them in the election somehow. If in 2020. So let's say yeah. Nancy Pelosi pushes for. Impeachment and the hearings happen and the president is impeached, and it goes to the Senate. Yeah. And the Senate trial lasts 12 to 14 seconds. Right. And he's acquitted. And the Democrats lose the House and lose the presidency. Would you, in 18 months, say Nancy Pelosi did her job? I think it would be awfully hard to tell if, that that's what happened. See, that's the problem is you can never really judge in hindsight because you have to know the outcomes of something that didn't happen, right? So if she pushes for impeachment and impeachment doesn't actually, then she does her job and it gets to the Senate and gets shut down. If we don't win, if we don't keep control of the House and we don't win the presidency, was that because of that? Or if we lose it in the sort of counter version of that. Right, because we didn't do anything. Was it because she didn't do anything? So, I mean, the problem we, and you know, and this goes, I mean, look at how we've, look back at 2016 like well what went wrong right everything went wrong <laughs> that's true and so can you blame you know uh disgruntled white voters in the upper midwest yes can you blame uh, uh bernie voters who didn't show up yes can you blame i mean there's like 20 different things you can blame also true so yeah. it's the same kind of we're running into a very similar situation if if everything goes well in in 2020 
everybody's going to claim credit for it. Pelosi will claim credit that however yep. her strategy unfolded with or without impeachment was the correct one to pursue. You know, we'll see. And if it doesn't work out, then, well, we won't have a republic anymore, so it won't matter. Nice. <laughs> in our dystopian future. Right, right. I think we'll be in District 7. Yes. <laughs> I, and I think this is the thing that, that strikes me, uh, is that... Um, I look at her position as being very difficult in that she has to sort of play both roles and maybe one should, pardon the pun, trump the other one, uphold the Constitution, but also she's responsible for holding the Congress, for holding the House. That she is can't true. get anything done. She knows she's oh, not yeah, going to no. be able to yeah. get anything done. Yeah, they're very cl- Well, you say she's not going to be able to get anything done, but then she puts together a drug policy that she's trying to get done, uh, which, is a, which is a disaster. <laughs> so uh, let, let me walk through this real quick. We, we're changing topics a little bit here, but like, um, she put together this proposal for uh, a drug price controls. Yes. And the, the outline of it is, the 250 most expensive drugs on the market that do not have three competitive producers or more would be subject to this regulation. And the, and the regulation would say that the prices get tied to prices negotiated by other countries. So right. some drug is out there. It turns out it's a very expensive drug. Uh, Germany negotiates it down to $100, whereas we're charging $10,000 it would push the drug companies to price it at the $100 mark, for example. Yeah, and um, it allows the U.S. government to negotiate on those, yes, which they yes. currently cannot. Which it cannot currently negotiate on. So this is... That's a it, win. It is at least nominally better than what we have now, but all of the caveats about what they can actually regulate really hamper this bill badly. So, for example, one of the big things we've heard a lot about is the pricing for insulin how that price has gone up substantially, right? So any bill that's going to reasonably regulate drug prices, that's one of the things that should absolutely be a part of it. And it is not because it is produced by three companies. Right. So the assumption built into this law is that if it is produced by more than two companies, that there's somehow competition, when we know for a fact that that's not the case, when companies are very easily able to while not, they don't necessarily directly collude, but basically one will raise the price and the other one will go, oh, and they'll raise the price and, and that right. continues on. And then on. they're charging you baggage fee. Oh, sorry. Wrong right. industry. Right. <laughs> right. right. Wrong um, tacit, uh, tacit collusion industry. Yes. 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 So, um, and the other thing that I, I have a big concern about this is if this all went forward and she managed to pass it, it would be with the help of Mitch McConnell and it would be the help of Donald Trump. And so she would potentially hand him a political win of saying, hey, I did something about drug prices, whether he really did or not. Like, why are you helping? Like, (laughs) (laughs) yes, that's, that is the right expression. Uh, Yes. Why are you? And I guess I would say I am for progress when it can be made. And I agree with you that the, there are some details in this health in this drug bill that are bad, yeah. Uh, and 
you know, again, on its surface, I, and I think we both did this. We started reading it. We're like, all right, this seems pretty good. Yeah. This is never going to pass the, the Senate, but, hey, this seems pretty good. Right. And then we got to the points where we go, like, oh, that's why it's going to pass the Senate. Yeah, it's like, it's like it's just bad enough that it might actually work, which is, <laughs> you know, and I think the thing of it is, like, if this was a proposal where it was actually, like, if, if it affected insulin prices, if it was, like, going to make some real and serious improvements to all of this, and if that handed Trump a political win, so be it. Like, if it's short-term, you know, something is going to have some impact on and actually save some lives, I'm not going to argue that on political grounds. Right. Before, but, but fortunately for me, in terms of arguing politics, it's, it's got problems. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think the other interesting thing about this to me is that 10 years ago, this bill would probably be passed... And everybody would claim victory for it. Sure. And Nancy Pelosi would be able to, to say, I did my job. This is a compromise bill. It's not as great as I wanted it to be. Yeah. And at this point in our politics, we're saying actually no. You, you, can't, you can't make a deal because every deal is a deal with the devil. Yeah. Well, and, it's, and that's the thing that's so hard about this is like, because that's basically what Obama ran into was Republicans having that exact same attitude of, hey, we're going to pass what is ultimately a very Republican structured health care bill. And I'm going to work my ass off to get you guys on board and I can make changes to, because of what you've asked for. And none of them voted for it. So it's like I get how there's like a. The political back and forth is overriding the getting anything useful and healthy done for our yep. country. And I don't know how to fix that. But in the interim, we've got a proto-fascist president. Right. And so what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Right. <laughs> I mean, that's well, just Well, we now have our episode title. What are you going to do? What are you going <laughs> to do? It, look, I, I, at the end of the day, I think Nancy Pelosi is in... A very, very difficult position. And oh, I think sure. nobody will be happy with her. Oh, no, no. I, I don't think there's any way for her to do a job that people are happy with. Yeah. Either the, uh, the more progressive people in the caucus, the people in districts like Connor Lamb, who are in much more moderate districts where they have a different case to make. Yeah. Um, or certainly, you know, jackasses like us who sit around a brewery <laughs> drinking beer, <laughs> complaining about things. So I think she's in a very difficult position. Absolutely. I don't necessarily agree with where she's choosing to do her constitutional job, which is getting things done and, yeah. frankly, making compromise. Yeah. And well, I think it's like it's ironic is like. They're concerned about the appearance of all this seeming political, and then, uh, and in the process of being concerned about it seeming political, they've made it political, right? In a way that, it, like, if they had just gone, all right, well, here are the crimes. Now we're impeaching. Go, like, then it's it's a little bit easier to sell than, well, you know, this is dragged out and dragged out oh, and dragged out, the and dragged out, and like, you know, and now it feels like, I mean, I'll be totally honest, like, if I'm a Republican looking at this. And it's like, oh, well, now what are they trying to come up with to impeach on? Because that's what's going to happen with this next thing, I guarantee, is like it'll be like, 
oh, well, this is just another thing that they're dredging up that's not a real thing, even though it is. Totally because everyone was, too. Well, and here's the other trap of that, that whole news cycle around it is every time every time you ask somebody in Trump's orbit about it, they will use it as an opportunity to insinuate that there was some wrongdoing by Joe Biden. And they have no responsibility to put any truth forward. Right. And it gets false equivalence. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And that, that whole thing, it's like, it's interesting because I think I've seen more negative stuff about Biden in the conversations around the whistleblowing than I have around Trump. Right. <laughs> Can we just take a bit of a pause here and <laughs> talk about... In another world, how great it would be to just watch Rudy Giuliani on TV flailing through interviews. Like, I swear to God, it's like he does a bunch of drugs and he gets on TV and he just starts talking. And, is, you know, he has no idea what he's saying. Yeah. There's nothing going on there. This is a guy who, you know, mayor of New York at its toughest time. And we've slowly watched him go into this sort of again stream of consciousness no I didn't do that but yes I absolutely did that I just said that I didn't do that right but we did we absolutely said that wait what I think it's one of those things where he just like he just throws out enough words and hopefully just like they don't notice what he said yeah (laughs) it is it is amazing and I think similar to that it's it's like watching interviews with Donald Trump like where he's at you know, talking about this section of wall that they're repairing. It's not new wall. No credit for the new wall. Right. And it's like George, actually George Herbert Walker Bush would be a great person to cover Donald Trump just in, in speech cadence and stuff. Yes. No wall, no wall. Right. It's not right. New. Well, no, we need Dana Carvey to cover. Him. Yeah. We there need we Dana go. Carvey doing George Herbert Walker Bush. Yeah. And so he's out there with all these people, and he's just, you know, he's stream of consciousness. But we're talking about that. He's like, and I'm not supposed to tell you this, everybody, but the wall is wired so we know when people are cutting through it. Right guy who's not doesn't want to talk about this. And the look on the face of the person from uh, the other person who was in that line of, of folks who was supposed to acknowledge that, yes, indeed, there's technology in the wall to check and see if it's been right. breached. The look on his face was like, no, <laughs> we're not talking about that. Perhaps it's best <laughs> if we don't. Right. I mean, it's best if we don't, but why don't we talk about it anyway? Right, right, right. No, I don't <laughs> So yeah. uncomfortable. Well, related to this, I saw... Uh, there was like a segment of wall, like the new wall, or it's like the, like the big metal like pier kind of things, or it's like a like a kind of a. Are great they bollards? Baller. I, don't I don't know what they're called, but like, um, but they were like, people are able to climb over those, and they they've they've like practiced climbing over it, so now they've got it down to about forty five seconds. Is this the same kind of wall where Donald Trump said they've hired? the greatest climbers in the United States to try to climb it and they couldn't climb it? Probably, yes. And then every sort of climbing organization is like, have you met the people in our organizations? Right, right. We would not do anything for... We barely acknowledge that a government exists. We... Yeah. Some of our folks have not been on the grid since, you know, 2007. Yeah. I, I, Although I did think about, like, as we were talking about this, like, 
would be a great ad for 2020 is a one minute ad with 45 seconds of somebody just scaling over that wall and then 15 seconds of like how much they paid for that part of the wall and end. <laughs> and end. <laughs> Preferably somebody from the United States leaving. Yes. Yes. Like, there you go. I'm out. <laughs> I'm a head out. So this is something, uh, something else I wanted to bring up. It seems very esoteric and on the side, but I... It's all right. I grew up in Michigan. That is esoteric. It right is now. esoteric. And, you know, there are some things in Michigan we take very seriously. Uh, hunting season. Okay. Very seriously. Okay. Uh, other, other things. Cars. UAW strike we're not talking about right now. I think we'll probably talk about it next year and next week. Uh, Art of the deal. But, and that's a big deal, actually. Impacts my family and, and whatnot. But this is something else. Okay. This is Mike Pence going to Mackinac Island. So Mackinac Island is an island in between the lower and upper peninsulas of Michigan. Uh, it's, a, it's a very beautiful place, very picturesque. Motor vehicles are not allowed there. Right. President Gerald Ford went to the island, and Gerald Ford, also from Michigan, took a horse-drawn carriage. I've been to Mackinac Island. The last time I was there was on my honeymoon. But, but you just don't. There are just no cars allowed. Yeah. Except if you're Mike Pence, who insisted on an eight-vehicle motorcade in Mackinac Island. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Will that cost them votes in Michigan? That's the question. Um, it will cost them votes in Michigan. Okay. I guarantee it. It may not be a lot of votes. It might be two, but there'll be two very outraged Mackinac. Mackinac? Mackinac? Ma- Ma- I, I, I would bet everybody on the Leelanau Peninsula up there yeah. is furious. All right. I, but I, I am serious when I say people do take that seriously. That's, that's a thing. The Mackinac Bridge, Mackinac Island, those are things that people in the northern part of the state and the southern part of the Upper Peninsula, which is the northern part of every other state, really do care about. And sort of the flippance and like, oh, I'm so important. Nobody cares about Mike Pence. Nobody. Oh, yeah, no. So that was something that bothered me a great deal. (laughs) (laughs) So I just had to bring it up. But also, go to Mackinac Island. It's beautiful. But not, nice. but not in a car. No. You can rent a bike. How do you, it's an island, right? It is. Take a ferry. How did he? Uh, so there's a ferry. There is. Does the ferry take cars? Evidently. Like, it's like if cars aren't allowed on the island, how do they get the cars? To, like, I mean, you know, granted, it's the U.S. government. They could, like, airlift them in or whatever. But anyhow. I mean, things had to be built on the island. You know, there are ways to get heavy things like the over ro- there. Like, there's not. I, I guess there's paths. Uh, anyhow. <laughs> Don't ask too many questions. <laughs> to make fantastic fudge very strange. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it's up by Traverse City. Traverse City is beautiful. Fall, Michigan. Yes. I like I like I like Michigan in the fall, yeah. actually. Huge Jeff Daniels. There you go. Where the hell's Jeff Daniels when you need him? <laughs> Here was the other thing that I thought was very interesting this week. Howdy Modi. Yes. Howdy, Modi. Yes. Revenger Modi, Prime Minister of India, comes to the United States, has a rally in, in Texas. 
in a blue district in Texas. 50,000 people there. Second billing goes to Donald Trump. <laughs> I just want to, I want you to walk us through in real time processing that yes. idea. Like, okay, blue district. In Texas. Yeah, in Texas. Um, and like, none of this makes sense. Like, wh- I mean, I, I mean, I'm assuming it was, you know, it was the Indian community in that area. Is that who showed up for this? I mean, like, who are the, who are the, who are Raja the attendees? Krishnamurthy, who's What's that? Raja Krishnamurthy from Illinois. Yeah. Went down there for that. This okay. was a national, people from all over okay. the United States. Okay. Came. It just happened to be in Texas because that's where he was, I guess. The location seemed odd to me as well. Okay. Like, all right, sure. Why not? But when was the last time you heard of Donald Trump going someplace where he wasn't supposed to be? Oh, that's a good, very good point. Second billing to Donald Trump? It's like. Uh, Well, he did go to the, the, he did cross into the North Korean side at the demilitarized zone. So that's kind of like similar. He just likes, you know, he has a thing for people who are fascist types like him, it seems. I mean, I mean. Although of that sort of hit, that little click, Ravindra Modi is like the the pretty progressive one. Right, 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 right. Kind of. Right. Well, he's it's trying a, to. It's all relative. He's working on it with Kashmir. He's probably. Yeah. They probably got a Slack channel, right? Yeah. Like, guys, I'm just trying to figure out how to oppress these people a little yeah. more. Yeah. Like, if they went to like, was it the Philippines where there's the the I forget his name, the president who's like executing drug dealers and or and, anybody that he or wants anybody to. who he decides is. Uh, like, I feel like Trump would definitely take second bowling to that guy. Like, I forget his name, but... Yeah, he'd have to. Because he might be put in jeopardy. Yeah, if he Duarte, didn't, yeah. Duarte, Duarte, Duarte. Duarte or whatever, yeah. yeah. And then, um, and of course, Putin. Right. Because, of course. I mean, that's a club. That is, right? that is quite a club. And I know that, you know, they want to cater to different communities, but... Man, that feels like a hard sell. Yeah. To a largely immigrant community. I, I don't. I, yeah. Again, I, I, I can't wrap my brain around it. Um, I really can't. And and honestly, if I were a constituent of Representative Krishnamurthy, I would be asking him very like hard whoa, questions. What? <laughs> Why are you doing that? Right. Um, it's not as if Moti has a great record on inclusiveness or democracy or right. you know, liberal de- democracy anyway. And I don't want to slide into the international side, but... Although we are due for that, so... It is, but but still. And in all of that, howdy moti. <laughs> I mean, I think that's really what it was called. Yeah. Which okay. that only means that Donald Trump was Bozo the Clown. Presumably. Presumably. <laughs> I don't know. Any other national stuff you want to talk about? No, or the tears got the tears are already. Yeah, no, I think we got it pretty well covered. Um, yeah, I think it's just the biggest thing takeaway from this week is like we seem to be going through the same cycle again of Trump corruption. And, you know, maybe something will break loose this time. I have a feeling we're still talking about him losing an election is the only way we're getting rid of him. So and I don't understand why we're so why. There's so much trouble 
managing a news cycle. I mean, for whatever you say about Donald Trump, he is and his supporters are very good at dominating the news cycle. Well, I'm very surprised, actually, that he hasn't come up with something to sort of distract everybody from the whistleblower stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, granted, he probably did it like this afternoon at like 437 and I just hadn't noticed yet, but well, I bet it involves <laughs> racism, though, so... And actually, when I first heard about it, admittedly, I was like, ooh, is this just another distraction from the Jeffrey Epstein stuff? Right. Let's not let that go away either. Well, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure the federal investigation of that will all go smoothly. Anyhow, uh, international. Uh, so you want to talk to us about the uh, Brexit updates? I do. Like I do. I mean, I love all Boris the international stuff. For it. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, Boris Johnson, who was a clown from the beginning, right? We all knew this. Everybody knew it. Came in, and this is kind of a multi-week update. I'm going to collapse it into a very short summation, which is dumpster fire. Yes. So, you know, he comes in. He's like, well, I'm going to suspend parliament. And so there's this idea. And, and this was one of those places where I went down a rabbit hole. And my mind got blown. So... The prime minister can go to the queen and say, essentially, I'd like to end this session of parliament and start a new one. And that doesn't mean new elections. It just means we've done a bunch of stuff. We're going to stop this session of parliament and we're going to start a new one. So starting and stopping of sessions of parliament does not necessarily co correspond with elections in England. Right. It's a, it's a process called proroguing. And... It is the basis for the word prerogative. Oh. Which blew my mind. The more you know. The more you know. So, you know, Boris Johnson has to go to the Queen, and it's largely perfunctory, right? So okay. the Queen says, like, sure, Prime Minister, have at it. Prorogue away. Right. And so he does this to say, I'm going to suspend Parliament. It's going to go on for three weeks. We're not going to come back until two weeks before we're supposed to leave the EU. Big uproar, protests in England. Um, there are some sessions to happen, and his own party, there's a great clip, too. He's up there in front of Parliament, and he's talking, and as he's talking, somebody from his party gets up and walks across the aisle, literally walks across and joins the opposition, <laughs> which costs him the majority. Mm-hmm. And then immediately thereafter, there's a vote, and he loses. And on the audio, there's, you know, the typical kind of British, like, ah! and right. over everybody you hear, not off to a very good start, eh, Boris? <laughs> and it's kind of continued since then. Yeah. So he tried to call for new elections, and he failed on that. Uh, he's been sued by the Scots, essentially, saying that what he did was illegal and that he misled the Queen. And that lawsuit is... I can't imagine misleading the queen is a good thing. It's not a great thing. I feel like, feel like there's probably laws about that. Maybe, maybe not. Well, you know. I, well, and this was the other thing that I learned that blew my mind. This is kind of making its way to the, the UK Supreme Court, which has only existed since 1972. Really? Because the royalty was the Supreme Court, effectively? I, who knows? Okay. I... I, I, I Wow. It was just like, I guess they worked everything out. It was very, very civilized. So, you know, at this point, 
there's a legal question about whether or not the proroguing was allowed, which could mean that the parliament should be put back into session, but Boris Johnson could ignore that. And meanwhile, the speaker in the British parliament, who you know from his you know, sonorous order, order, has said he's resigned. So is Boris Johnson's brother, who said he couldn't, couldn't make a decision <laughs> between the country and family. I, dumpster fire. Yeah, that's what it comes yes, down yes, to. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and there's been a law passed saying that Boris Johnson has to go back to Brussels and ask for an extension. And Brussels is like, I don't know if I want to give it to you. And the president of Hungary has said, like, uh, you know, maybe I'm with Boris and I'm not going to let him out. I mean, it's all bad. Yeah. It is all bad if you're in England. If you have money in pounds. Or you're connected. Like, I have some friends who are actually in Sweden who are uh, UK. It's a, uh American and a UK citizen who were married and then lived in Sweden under the auspices of the EU. Everything's fine. But now they are kind of potentially up a creek if Brexit happens because, you know. Yeah, especially not, no deal Brexit. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, who knows? It's going to be. And, in, and so at this point, we're still heading towards the October 31st deadline. Yeah. There's no move away from that. There's been no second votes to stop that or anything like that. No, so. Well, there, really, at this point, the U.K. could ask the EU for an extension. The UE, EU doesn't have to grant it. Right. And it would have to be a consensus. Yeah, because I so, believe any one country in the EU could deride that. So. Like Hungary yeah. could scuttle that whole thing. Yeah. Um, it is Thelma and Louise. Yes, right and I now. appreciate that all of it potentially runs into problems on Halloween. Like, oh, I know, it's just great. <laughs> I know. I saw a great tweet where somebody said, "My girlfriend sent me a suggestion for our Halloween costumes, and it was a UK flag and an EU flag." Right, and he's like, "Wait, hold up." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I guess we're breaking up. Uh, speaking of breaking up. Israel had their second set of elections in five months. Yes, yes. And it seems like Bibi's actually finally in some trouble. Uh, and he had been, so he was under, and I'm not, I don't really follow the details of this, but I know he was, un, he was under investigation for corruption. Yes. And he and his wife. And he wasn't able, they were, I gather they weren't able to do anything in, because he was still in power. Uh, there's a little yeah. bit of that, but it, it's also a very long process. Got it. So. These things are still hanging over him very heavily. Uh, So there was an election about five months ago. uh, And one of the interesting things about uh, the Israeli system, you've got the Knesset, you have a president whose position is largely ceremonial. But one of the things that they do do after an election is they choose somebody whose job it is to form a government. And after the last election... Netanyahu was chosen by the president to form a government. He failed at that. That's why there was a second election. And now the Likud party under Netanyahu has lost seats. Yep. (sighs) And so the blue and white party has more seats. And now we're waiting for the president to choose somebody to try to put together a government. Now, logically, it wouldn't make sense for that person to be Netanyahu. The blue and white party... um, I, you know, they've said, like, look, 
We're happy to form a unity government with the Likud party as long as Benjamin Netanyahu is not part of that. Yeah. So signs aren't good for him. Uh, nothing's decided yet. I think the Israeli people from all stories are pretty sick of this whole thing. Uh, but we're going to find out soon. Yeah. So it's, you know, the president has a few weeks to make a decision. And then that person has a few weeks to actually put together put together a government. Yeah. And I don't get the impression that any any of what's going on is going to dramatically shift um, everything that's been going on with the occupied territories and all that sort of stuff. So, I, I, I mean, ultimately, this may be more about Israeli domestic politics than it is about that. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, I think the way it relates two things. One is that the Jared Kushner peace plan, which I'm sure was a winner, <laughs> uh, was on hold until Art after of the, the election. Art of the deal. Art of the deal. So, uh, and I think the peace plan was suing everybody. He was yeah. just going to sue everybody for libel Pretty until. <laughs> so that's probably dead. Yeah. If it was ever a lie. It was not a thing. <laughs> so uh, that thing is going to go away. Yeah. Um, not Again, not surprising because Jared Kushner's an idiot. So that's, that's probably one international thing around it. And, you know. Again, following Israeli politics a little bit, you know, some of the more likely candidates for prime minister are not as hawkish as Netanyahu. Yeah. A little more pragmatic, but not especially sort of secular. And I think that'll be the real question is how secular the next prime minister right, is. Right, right. Can we talk about Canada? Because Canada is interesting. Yes, yes. So uh, Justin Trudeau apparently had a little bit of a problem come up this week, where turns out that he had appeared in uh, brown, was a brown. It was brown fit. It was like it was. It is, and this yes. is a very nuanced Canadian yes. thing we've yes. learned. It was, but it was. Uh, it was his brown face, and apparently this happened on two occasions. And he and this came out, and Trudeau was you know obviously apologetic about that, and then a third one came up. After that, so he's kind of screwed. <laughs> Is I I don't know. I mean, I've well, read different things. And so, yeah, and you know, on one hand, you see, you know, Canadians saying, "Look, first of all, it's brownface, not blackface, because we use brownface for East Indian people, right? And blackface for Caribbean people," which I thought that's an odd nuance in and of itself. And then people said, "Well, we don't really have the history with." the racism and the slavery here in Canada. So maybe it's not as offensive. And I was like, wow, that's <laughs> really, I mean, it's not like he's governor of Virginia. Yeah. I will say it's weird watching this controversy unfold in Canada. Cause I'm like, all right. So he's a liberal politician who has done some racially questionable things. And I think, that that I don't you know I don't like that that happened yeah. but you know I'm like by God if we had that instead of what we have now where we have a you know proto fascist president who is deliberately exploiting racial tensions right. to his benefit like I mean he's a guy who says like I wish I would have appeared in blackface more right <laughs> I yeah. could have done that more it's one of my only regrets now he just sticks to orange face so. yeah well and here's the other context around that so. Justin Trudeau, Trudeau had called elections, and really they were pretty tight as they were. Yeah. And amazingly, these allegations came out right after he called elections. Right. 
And they're also kind of on the back of the scandal around a an investigation of a big donor of his, uh, where the Minister of Justice sort of, you know, the best approxima- approximation is the Attorney General said she was pressured by Justin Trudeau to not push on an investigation of a big donor. Yeah. To the point where she resigned, which was a big and legitimate scandal. Yeah, yeah. Especially from somebody who, you know, came into office really with a big, you know, feminist, you know, bent to his campaign and, you know, everybody looking at him as, you know, this sort of hope for Western democracy. Right. You know, guy who does yoga, great hair, you know, very progressive, all of those things, and those sort of chip away at it. Oh, yeah. And it, it really, for lack of a better expression, tarnishes his image. Yeah. Um, and we'll see what happens in those elections that are coming up because he's, you know, he's going to be hard put to maintain that majority and stay in power. For sure. Which would be a sad thing, probably. So, speaking of elections, uh, I think that go ahead and can move on to Circus 2020. Oh, yeah. Election Circus 2020. So, uh, yeah. So, de Blasio is de Blasio out. Uh, also, Booker might be on the fringe of falling out of the race. Uh, there was a report. A memo that had been circulated by his campaign manager saying that he need to raise $2 million in the next, like, 10 days to stay in the race. How, maybe that was just an aggressive email subject line to try to get people to donate. Or maybe it's a real thing. I don't know. But uh, so he might be out soon. Hard to say. He hasn't really been getting. He's been doing okay in the debates, but it hasn't really affected his poll numbers. We still kind of have our top three and, and not a lot of yeah. movement beyond that. I mean, it is really interesting how little things have changed. Lots of money going in, lots of effort, lots of time. Very little has changed in the polls. Yeah. Um, you know, Booker's already qualified for the next debate. Right. And I don't know why he would leave before that next debate. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's hoping, like, somebody, some other campaign is going to be like, You'll be my vice president, and I'll give you some money, so you then attack that person for me, or who knows. I mean, there could I mean, be any other sort of weird shenanigans there, but... I mean, don't you think that, like, at least half the candidates are in the, is Biden gonna, is Biden gonna blow up today? Oh, yeah. That's their whole strategy. Like, their campaign manager is, he is refreshing the Google search of... Right. Joe Biden says... Did he melt down? Did he melt down? Did he melt down? Exactly. They've got, like, keywords that he says in public. Like, if he says these, we got him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. um, So, I've been seeing a lot of commentary back and forth about, you know, like, Facebook posts or whatever saying, you know, oh, you know, going after Sanders for not appearing at an LGBT forum. I saw one for Warren and Biden not going to a climate change forum. Um, you know, this is like as things continue, and as, especially as we get closer to the Iowa caucus, there's going to be so many people wanting so much of these candidates' time that that's just going to happen. Is like there's going to yeah. be a lot of requests for appearances that they're just not going to be able to pull it off. I think the only thing that might be interesting about those is if it's what did they do instead? So if they don't appear at a climate change forum, but then they go to a 
oil industry uh, donor event, then then okay, fine, maybe that's a problem. But um, we don't see any of that happening. Look, he was a natural gas. He was a natural gas executive. Oh, oh, oh well, all right then. But yeah, and you know, this is something that I, I think you make a really good point. What are they doing instead? Um, and you know, what they always tell candidates, and sort of the conventional wisdom is that the most valuable asset that a campaign has is the candidate's time. So that's why it's so remarkable to me to hear stories about Elizabeth Warren spending four hours doing a selfie line. Well, you know, and that's the thing is. When I, when you actually, as you were saying that the most valuable thing they have is a candidate's time, what I immediately thought about is call time. Because what most candidates end up doing a lot is spending their time calling potential donors, trying to keep the fundraising going. And one of the advantages to Warren's approach of saying, I'm not going to do these big fundraisers and strictly rely on these grassroots donors is that she has the time to go stand in for several hours getting selfies with everybody. Right. And I've heard that she's not really doing call time. And yeah, she's going in. Yeah, she'll call a couple supporters randomly, but that's it. Yeah. And and I've got to tell you, from people I know in politics, they're like, I don't understand. Well, it's the reason her fundraiser quit when she came up with this. Like, it's it's working so far. Evidently. I mean, if you follow the Des Moines Register poll which has her in the lead in Iowa. Right. And this is a fairly reputable poll of Iowa. I mean, they don't have they this is their first poll, so we don't have any like patterns to establish, but it's a pretty strong uh, read for her if she's up at this point. I mean, it's, you know, margin of error, but still. Uh, it it's got to be pretty pretty scary to everybody else. Yeah. And uh, you know, we've talked a little bit before about like, well, if by if Warren does fine in Iowa. What does that really mean? Because, you know, we've got Sanders spending a lot of time in Nevada, which is the next primary after that. New Hampshire's uh, after Iowa. So it goes Iowa, Iowa New, Hampshire, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada. Nevada. Okay. So, yes. They're all very close. Thank you for uh, – nobody cares about New Hampshire. And <laughs> if you're except, listening – Except people in New Hampshire. Except if you're listening from New Hampshire – Please let us know when you rate us on iTunes. <laughs> please, please put your hate mail on iTunes. Yeah, and I will absolutely issue a retraction. But it, right now, South Carolina is heavily dependent on the African-American vote, and Biden is way up in polling right. amongst African-Americans. And Nevada is probably going to rely on union votes and the Hispanic vote, and that looks pretty good, actually, for Sanders. So you could potentially have three different winners from that. But then if you look at 2008, Hillary Clinton was in a similar position vis-a-vis South Carolina and Iowa in terms of African-American voters. So as Biden is to Warren. Right. But as soon as... Barack Obama won Iowa. South Carolina turned. Well, and that's the thing Obama. that I'm really wanting to understand. I was having this conversation, uh, actually, while watching football yesterday, 
but I hang out with some political people while I'm watching football. So anyhow, and the football um, was probably pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so my, my team's zero and three. Everybody, so not so good. Hey, mine too. Oh well, there you go. Um, so anyhow, um, we were talking about this, and we're talking about like what are what are the the old, and it's older black voters are the ones that seem to be sticking with Biden at this point. Like younger black voters are a little more mixed. Uh, they actually somewhat seem to go more for for Bernie than for Biden. Um, but amongst older black voters, and I want to understand like what is it? What is their interest in it? Why do they support him? And I can't find any good polling information around it. I see a lot of anecdotal things about, well, it's because they think he's got the best chance to win or, you know, I had and I was having this discussion. It was about, and you know, people suggesting, oh, well, you know, they don't they don't like uh, Warren's uh, economic policies or Sanders economic policies. And it's too too left, too crazy. Um, and I don't know what the right answer is because we don't have the data. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we have the data. And I think that there's a certain amount of pragmatism that goes on. Right. And and so it may very well be that, you know, whoever wins Iowa, like you're suggesting, will we'll see a major swing because they're like, okay, well, they're the it's, ones who are in, in the lead, so let's get behind them. It's electability, right? Um, yeah. Which I don't believe in, but everybody else does, so I guess we have to believe in. Yeah. Um, I, I, still, if you're a Warren supporter, as... You might be in that t-shirt. I might be. Uh, you've got to see those poll results as pretty good. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and one of the things I like, I want to talk a little bit about that's come up in the last week is we've talked about like the the WPFP endorsement of Warren and some of the conversations I've seen around that. Is that is that conversation in air quotes? It it is uh, Facebook posts and quotes yes. and comments and it's it's i think what it comes down to is that we've got to be mindful of as we're out there and advocating for our candidate that we like that we're not unfairly undermining other candidates so like yeah so if like another candidate does something stupid I, you know fine put it out there that's completely reasonable what i've been seeing is like and a, and a friend of mine shared this article where it was like talking about how Warren is basically a neoliberal, <laughs> which is, which is, and it was like this, just the thinnest thread of logic of, well, if she's part of a neoliberal system and she still considers herself part of the system, then some, and it was just like, and I pushed back on it and my friend actually was like, he's actually kind of retracted and he's like, yeah, that's, that's too far. The thing is like, we're going to have to, whoever ends up being the candidate, we're going to have to get behind them at some yes. point. And I'm not going to push the whole like, you know, vote blue no matter who right now, because I think it's a silly thing to talk about. But I think it's like, let's not burn bridges that we might need to cross over later. <laughs> uh, there it is. Yeah, uh, there it is. And I think you can have very big disagreements with people about yeah how something should happen. But to paint Elizabeth Warren, who really was the driving force behind the CVFP, like CFPB, yeah. CFPB yeah. is like how you could paint her as like just another neoliberal right. is. Well, and so what I see happening yeah. is that, you know, the narrative it sets up is that, okay, you get in the same situation where you get through the primaries and it's like, oh, well, the system was rigged. And we saw a lot of people talking about that around the WFP endorsement was, oh, it was rigged. 
No, it wasn't. Like it was, there was a system of rules about who got yeah. what say in the vote, and the leaders of the of the organization got more say in the vote. Um, both of us are in NDFA, and we have a system where you have to volunteer so many times before you become a voting member. Like there are, every organization has a system for saying, "Here's how we're going to determine endorsements if they do endorsements." Right, and all the evidence suggests that. She did a lot of outreach to the organization, to that leadership, um, and that is what helped her win that that backing. But you know, but then you see people talking about it being rigged. It's like, well, that's not rigged. That's the rules playing out as they right. were written. So it's just it's 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 making me nervous. <laughs> and I'm you know I'm like very optimistic that we're all gonna like come together to fight Trump and all that. But like when I see all this stuff going on, it's like I continue to feel like. There's some people are just gonna like, well, no, they're they're you know a neoliberal horror show, and I can thus never back them because the only pure candidate is my candidate, and et cetera, et cetera. And that could be very corrosive, interpersonally and and to the efforts of oh, yeah, the party. Absolutely. And uh, you know, Bernie, to his credit, has already one said that he'll support whoever gets the nomination. Yeah. And two, every time that things have come out about his campaign or volunteers being aggressively um, anti somebody else he he tries to tamp that down yeah and I, I will give him all the credit in the world is I think that he is not trying to feed into that stuff he he does try to steer people away from that they just don't necessarily hear him <laughs> yeah well yeah so yeah and you know I think Bernie's gonna be here tomorrow yep, and we'll yep. talk about that in the Chicago and uh, local section. Yes, I we think, did not so. do a local segment last week, uh, owing to time constraints and the fact that I was jet lagged. But we'll be doing it uh, this week. We will be. But before we get there, can we talk about beer? We can talk about beer. Oh man! So we're trying a new location today. We are. I'm so happy to be in a new location. We're in the corridor. Yes. Uh, Literally so, and figuratively. Yes. Yeah, so it's uh, located on Southport. Uh, we're kind of in the Wrigleyville area. In the Southport Corridor. Yeah, in the Southport Corridor, hence Corridor. It's about, whatever, 500 feet north of the Southport stop on the Brown Line. Yes. On the west side of the street. Yes. And you would know because that's how you got here. Of course. So there you go. Uh, but, yeah, no, I've, I've walked by here many times. Um, I've, I've gone here a few times with friends. Uh, some lovely beers. They do tend to run a little hoppier than is my normal taste, but should be right up your alley. It is. Uh, and, and they they do, and they are. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. yes. But so, I think best pretzel we've had. That is true. They are the winner of the pretzel competition we have going on. Uh, it was, like, kind of light and fluffy. It's like if a pretzel and, like, a croissant got together. Yeah. And, and I was in Europe. I can say croissant. Yeah. I'll, I'll devolve back to, like, crescent roll that, later. That, well, that feels like someplace on the Alsace, right? Like, right, right. Well, you know, we were in France. We got conquered. We kind of made the croissant pretzel. Right, right. It's a very, you know, it's the Maginot line yes. of snacks. It was, it was excellent. It was really, really good. And the beers here, what did you end up? I uh, got the uh, Up on Marzen, which is a Marzen. It tastes like a Marzen. So there you go. And for those of you who don't know the beer styles necessarily much, Oktoberfest. Yeah, that's, that's definitely an Oktoberfest yeah. beer. Um, I, first of all, I, 
you know, I'm a big fan of beer names. I think the best beer name should always win. So I started with a wizard fight. Yes. Not sure exactly what that is. Yeah, I've had it before. It was not a not a thing I enjoyed, but this gets back to I'm not into the hops. Right. Well, I mean, it's an American IPA. It's very hoppy. Right. Uh, nobody called Expelleramus on me, so it was good. I guess I won that wizard fight. I it, it was excellent. I had two sips of it, and I was like, this is the best. In fact, it was so good, I drank it very quickly. Uh, and then I ended up ordering a Swamp Dog. Okay. A Swamp Dog, which was also very good. That's just an IPA. Uh, both of them in the 6% range. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I was very pleasantly surprised uh, by both of the beers we had, along with the pretzel and the and the cheese. Yes. <laughs> so, like, I have, a, like, a, a cheese dip thing that comes with, like, chips and pickles and potatoes. And it's very good, though. Yeah, it's a bar cheese. And, and here was the question. Yeah. Do you dip a pretzel or do you dip a pickle, pickle in the cheese? In the and cheese. the answer was no. It just, it, apparently it the bad. pickle, well, the, it wasn't bad, but the pickle overwhelmed the cheese. It doesn't it's pair it. well. It doesn't it's pair. Not, not a good pair. So anyhow, we're here to teach and, and we're educate and, and, and we're learning them. ourselves. It's all uh, good. But so. they've got some excellent looking pizzas. The music on is great. Yep. I think it's all vinyl. If I yeah. look up over my shoulder, they've got a huge shelf of vinyl up there. Yeah. And they've got uh, a really nice cool little spot. Nice little patio area on the sidewalk. Uh, you know, time's running out for that. So. Yeah. yeah, so come on by. This place is fantastic. I'm definitely going to come back here uh, at a time when I'm not wearing a Britney Spears mic, but it's great. There you go. All right. So, yeah, that wraps us up for the National International Circus 2020 part of the show. And uh, we'll catch you on the local podcast. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.